Please turn in your Bibles to our sermon text today, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. While you're turning there, I just want to emphasize again what uh, Jack mentioned earlier about the 6 p.m. service of lessons and carols. I want to encourage everyone to return this evening for that service. Um, we will be collecting an offering in that service to go uh, to the PCA's agency, RBI, Retirement Benefits and Insurance, for the relief of retired and or disabled uh, PCA ministers, missionaries, widows, dependents. Uh, we collect this offering every year, and uh, so we will be taking that up this Christmas Eve service. Um, if you'd like to write a check, please make it payable to Old Peachtree or OPPC, OP Street Presbyterian Church, uh, because we'll just gather it and send one check then on for this offering. So I just want you to be aware of that in advance. But I do hope that you return tonight and, uh, and worship with us and celebrate Christmas Eve with us tonight. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for this portion of it that is before us this morning. This is your word, Lord. It is not discerned or understood by the fallen and natural mind. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who enables us to benefit and prosper from your word. And we pray as we study for his help. We pray, Father, that you would teach us what you would have us to know, that we could worship you in the, in the study of your word, and that by your word and by your spirit, you would make us more like our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, in this Advent season, we have been in a series called The Cast of Christmas, taken from countless Christmas pageants, plays, productions, whatever you want to call them, Uh, and we're familiar with the cast of Christmas, but sometimes it's helpful to go back to the scriptures and take a look at who exactly these people were. 
We began by looking at Joseph as the Lord came to him in a dream and told him not to be afraid to take Mary, who is with child, as his wife. We looked at Mary herself as the angel came, Gabriel came and announced to her what was going to happen to her. And as a sign, her cousin Elizabeth, who had been called barren, was now in her sixth month. We also looked last week at the angels and the shepherds, the angels, these mighty servants of heaven coming and making known to some of the lowest in the social strata of the day, shepherds, the good news of the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. Well, no Christmas program would be complete without wise men, and uh, they are in the scriptures. And so we're going to have a look today at the cast of Christmas, the wise men. Now, before we begin looking at them and what happened with them, it might be helpful to kind of clear away some mental baggage that we bring to the text, some things that have, like barnacles on a boat, have accrued accrued to our thinking about the wise men. Uh, In the first place, as we've read the biblical passage, we need to be clear that we don't know how many there actually were. We're saying we three kings of Orient are, but... Uh, And I haven't seen the nativity, but I was told by someone who had that they had three wise men in the nativity. And we always have three wise men in our production here, the children's Christmas program as well. Uh, Why is that? Well, the Bible never says how many there were. We do know that there were more than one, the wise men. It's plural in English. It's plural in Greek. But it doesn't specify how many. Maybe three because of the three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And that could be. There may have been three, but it doesn't necessarily follow from what we read in Scripture. Also, the idea that they were kings is is interesting. The Bible describes them uh, as wise men. We'll look at that in just a minute as we look at them in more detail. Uh, The idea of kings may have come from Old Testament references, which we'll look at in our study this morning. Also, it's worth noting that... um, Contrary to most Christmas programs, including ours in a sense, the wise men did not visit Jesus on the night of his birth. Uh, It seems to have been some time afterward, and in fact, we read in verse 11, going into the house. Uh, So this apparently was no longer at the manger uh, and the stable where Jesus actually was born, but was sometime after that. Well, having said that, then let's look at what actually did happen, what we do have here in Scripture. Uh, As we look at this passage, we want to look at it in terms of three encounters that these wise men had, three encounters that we find through the passage. In the first place, uh, we want to look at that and also the lesson that arises out of it. So in the first place, then, uh, as we read this passage, we discover that the wise men encounter a star. See this in the first couple of verses. After, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. The words could also be translated in the east. It's the same word earlier when it says wise men from the east and the word when it rose it has the idea of a star rising so it could refer to the star or it could refer to its its rising its appearance in the heavens we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him well who were these guys well the word here in the esv is translated wise men i think the niv sort of transliterates the greek word magi 
the Greek word magoi is, is plural. The magi were uh, originally uh, a, a caste of uh, magicians and so forth in Persia, a particular caste or, or, or type of people. Uh, however, by this time, the term had become more general and really would be used of uh, astrologers, uh, magicians, uh, sages, uh, and hence the translation wise men is certainly a good one, and that, that really is, is who they were. They would consult the stars, astrology, so forth, to discern the signs of what was going on, offer wisdom to those who asked. Uh, and so we have these magi or wise men, and of course they paid attention to the night sky. They kept up with the stars. That was their job. That's the kind of thing that they did, uh, and they obviously would have been in fine position to notice something unusual in the heavens. And in fact, that's what happened. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, what was the star? All kinds of natural phenomenon have been suggested. Uh, some have suggested that it was an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn that took place in the year 7 B.C. Certainly would have been a notable uh, star or point of light in the sky. Jupiter or Saturn, either one by themselves, is, is rather obvious and bright in the sky, but the two of them together would have been quite a sight. Some have suggested maybe that's what it was. Others have suggested maybe a comet, maybe Halley's Comet, which actually uh, came around in 12 and 11 B.C., but that actually might have been a little bit earlier for the purposes, too early for the purposes of the passage that's before us here. Some have suggested that it was an exploding star, a nova, which uh, would be very visible and evident in the night sky. However, uh, none of these satisfies completely exactly what it was that they saw uh, as far as natural explanations. Uh, and it's possible that there could have been some natural phenomenon like that involved. However, verse 9 seems to indicate that the star rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so we might turn to something supernatural as indeed the birth of Christ itself. His conception was a supernatural event and so it seems at least to be a supernatural phenomenon, even if initial interest may have been aroused with these wise men on the part of some natural phenomenon in the sky. Perhaps it was only supernatural. Perhaps it was a combination of something natural in the sky that got their attention together with some supernatural pointer, something indicating where this child was, the birth of a king uh, that they went to see. Now, before we leave talking about this encounter they had with a star and their subsequent journey, which, by the way, as far as we know, is the first recorded journey that took place as a result of Christmas, the result of Jesus' birth. Uh, Christmas is often a time for traveling to go see family or family coming to see you. Well, the, the wise men, as far as we know, were the first ones who hit the road for Christmas. But it's significant not only for that uh, important fact, but it's also significant theologically, redemptively as fulfillment of prophecy. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to a couple of passages in the Old Testament, just to follow me here. Uh, Psalm 72, first of all. Psalm 72, verse 10. 
And this may well be where the idea of kings comes in, by the way. Psalm 72, verse 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. This is a tribute to a king, in fact, to the king, to the Lord Jesus, ultimately. And the idea here of the kings of the nations, the nations themselves coming to pay tribute to this great king, including, we note, the offering, the giving of, of gold. Well, let's look at one other passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60, verse 1. We read, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen among you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then again in verse 6, a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And again in verse 9, for the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. Again here, the picture of the nations coming to Israel, but fulfilled then in Christ, who is the true Israel, the epitome, the fulfillment of all that Israel was meant to be, and represented in these wise men who came. We have the nations coming to pay tribute, to acknowledge the arrival of the Messiah. And so there's a very strong and satisfying fulfillment of redemptive history with the arrival of the, the journey and the arrival of these wise men to pay tribute to this king who has been born, whose star they saw in the heavens. So the first place they, in the first place, they encounter a star. Second, uh, they encounter one who perhaps thought himself a star, but his name was Herod. They encounter Herod, verses 3 through 8. Uh, notice that they went to Jerusalem. <clears throat> They've come, capital city there, inquiring, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star. Where is he? Well, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Yes, he was troubled. Any ruler, especially one who was a Roman appointee, might feel somewhat threatened by news that a king had been born. Might feel his position somewhat threatened, somewhat less secure with the news that a king had been born and perhaps a true descendant of King David. And so, yes, he was troubled. All Jerusalem with him, who liked the status quo, who did not want upheaval, who did not want change. 
and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. See, Herod may have been an oaf, but he wasn't stupid. He could put two and two together. And these men come from a long distance away. They say, where's the king who has been born? And Herod's mind immediately starts thinking in terms of the Messiah. Because the word, the Greek word here, Christ, means the anointed one, the Messiah. The same as the Old Testament Hebrew word, Messiah. And so immediately Herod is thinking about the possibility of the Messiah coming. Good news, right? No, not if you're the king, not if you like your power, not if you don't want to be displaced. And of course, Herod, as most in his day did, shared the idea that, held the idea that the, the Messiah would be a political and a military power, that he would be a military, earthly, political kind of king. And so, yes, he was troubled. Yes, he felt threatened. And he gathered the scribes, he gathered those in the know, and said, now, tell me, where's the Messiah to be born? They told him, verse 5, well, in Bethlehem of Judea. Everyone knows that. Anybody went to Sunday school, you know, in synagogue there. I guess it would be Saturday school in synagogue. Reading the scriptures, knows you know the, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because they'd read the very same passage that you and I read earlier in Micah, chapter five, in Bethlehem, Ephratah, the older name of it, to distinguish that Bethlehem in the south, Bethlehem in Judea and Judah, from a Bethlehem that was located in Galilee to the north. There were two of them, so you had to distinguish which one it was. Bethlehem in, in Judah, Bethlehem Ephratah. They were familiar with it, and that's exactly uh, what we read there in verse 6. So it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, which clarifies in case Ephratah doesn't communicate anything to you, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, they knew that the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. And in fact, as we read earlier in our New Testament reading, the people knew that too, and they had a problem because Jesus was known as a Nazarene. Jesus was associated with the town of Nazareth in the north. And they said, well, you know, look into it, and you'll see that the, the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. He comes from Bethlehem. Of course, if they'd looked a little bit more, they would have discovered that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem in the city of David. Verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He secret meeting with the wise men. In verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem. They'd asked, and so Herod tells them now. He's in Bethlehem, which wasn't a far journey from Jerusalem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod cloaks his profoundly evil intentions under a veil of piety. In that, he was like another wicked ruler who had ruled over Israel, uh, Ahaz, who you'll remember back in Isaiah chapter 7 when Isaiah says to him, the Lord says to ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, I will not ask for a sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. 
Well, he knew they weren't to test the Lord. They weren't to try his patience. And so he cloaks his unbelief with this pious-sounding excuse. I don't want to test the Lord and, and ask him for a sign, even though God himself had said, ask me for a sign. And, of course, Isaiah says, well, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child, right? And familiar uh, prophecy of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here we have uh, Herod who likewise says, well, you go find him, and when you find him, let me know where he is because I want to worship him. You want to know what his worship looked like? Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. That's what his worship of Messiah would have looked like. Herod was a wicked man. He was threatened by the news of this newborn king who he himself had surmised was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. Well, that was the encounter the wise men had with Herod. Of course, great irony here. The irony in all of this is that Herod, the leader of the Jews, wanted to put Jesus to death And these Gentiles came from afar and wanted to worship him and pay tribute to him as king. That just sort of foreshadowed the experience Jesus had in his own ministry when it was the sinners and the outcasts who responded to him and it was the Jews and particularly the leaders of the Jews who, threatened by him, sought to put him to death. But there's a third encounter that these wise men had uh, in this experience, and that is their encounter with Jesus, their encounter with the king whom they sought out. Look at verse 9. After listening to the king, Herod, one wonders if there's not some irony in that use of the word king there, calling him the king. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They encounter Jesus. Three things that we read about here. First of all was their joy. The joy at having discovered that which they had traveled some distance to see. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which is a biblical way of saying they were really happy. They were very enthusiastic, exceedingly great joy, uh, knows no bounds. Another response that we find here is that of worship. Verse 11, they go in, they fell down and worshiped. Him. Now, there's no comment made by Matthew, and there's no comment made by Mary or anyone else in here. And it's worth noting that. It's easy to read over that and pass by that. But typically in the scriptures, when someone is worshipped or knelt before who is not God, there is a protest. Remember John kneeling before the angel in the book of Revelation. The angel says to him, get up. I'm a created being like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. Well, when Jesus was worshipped, he didn't say that. 
Now, here he said, well, he's a baby. Of course, he couldn't respond. Turn with me over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Wonderful passage. The healing of the man who was born blind, been blind from birth, and how Jesus healed him and his interaction with the Pharisees and his parents. And uh, finally, uh, the man just insists on what he knows and what he knows to be true. Jesus healed me. How can a man heal the blind if he's not from God? How can a man have the power that this man has if he's not the Messiah? And, of course, they said, are you going to lecture us? And they threw him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. And later, uh, Jesus came to this man. John 9, verse 35. Jesus heard they'd cast him out. Um, By the way, one of the early recipients of persecution for the name of Jesus Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. There was no objection. There was none of that that the angel told John. Get up. What are you doing? I'm just a creature. What are you doing worshiping me? When the crowds knelt down before Paul and and just exasperated him. Here he was trying to preach the gospel. He'd done this miracle and they come and want to worship Paul. Get up. I'm just a man. Peter, I'm just a man. Jesus never said, I'm just a man. Because it was absolutely fitting, it was the most fitting and appropriate thing in all of creation that this man should kneel down, not only before his maker, but before his redeemer, and give him worship because of who he is. And so when these wise men came into the house, and they saw Mary, and they saw the child, they knelt down, and they bowed down before the Lord. Well, certainly worship there, but also gifts. Look at verse 11. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. That is to say, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've already seen uh, Psalm 72, the reference there to gold. Isaiah 60, uh, the reference even there to gold and frankincense. Uh, Myrrh, because of its bitterness, was sometimes associated uh, with the crucifixion, the sufferings and and death of Christ, although myrrh was often used in festive occasions as well, it's hard to make any kind of direct connection or find particular meaning in each of these gifts, and gold or frankincense and myrrh. Uh, They were all valuable. They were all precious items. In fact, I saw just in the paper this morning an article that frankincense comes from trees in the Horn of Africa, and because of the harvest of frankincense, the trees are not... uh, producing new trees as fast as they need to, so there's some concern about that. No shortage yet, but uh, they don't have as many new frankincense trees coming along as, as they might otherwise hope to have. But they brought these as gifts and presented them, and certainly gifts fitting for tribute to a king. So we see there are three encounters here. Encounter with a star, led them to Christ. Encounter with Herod, who hated and sought Christ to, to put him to death. And then their encounter with Christ himself. Now, 
We're not the wise men. And the Bible isn't suggesting that we are, but it's interesting to think that there is, in a sense, a way in which we find our own experience recapitulated uh, that these wise men went through. We find their experience recapitulated in us. They found a star. It's pointing to Jesus, led them to Jesus. Well, we don't follow a star, but we do follow the preaching and teaching of the Word of God from the pulpit, Sunday school classes, Bible studies that point us to Jesus. They encountered Herod. We know all kinds of people who celebrate uh, Christmas in some outward sense and have no regard for Christ and maybe even are hostile to Christ. Uh, Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, uh, on his blog had a good article interacting with some writings of various atheists, including one who says, yeah, he celebrates Christmas. It's just a secular thing. And he pointed out the irony that even in referring to it as Christmas, he's acknowledging Christ, but even those who are hostile. We encounter Herods in various forms and shapes. They brought Jesus gifts and tribute and worship. We do the same when we come to the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> we don't give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we give him our lives in obedience, for example, to Romans 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, any Christian, anyone who is in Christ, give a, gives a gift far more valuable than gold, and that is we give the Lord ourselves, our lives, all that we are, all that we have. <clears throat> and yet, we love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. You see, Christmas is not fundamentally about what the wise men gave Jesus but about what God gave the wise men. Notice their first reaction when they come upon him, before they gave anything, was that of immense joy. You see, Christmas is not about what we give to God. Christmas is about what God has given us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the lesson of the wise men is this. We give. We give to one another. We give to Christ because he first gave to us. Let's pray. Lord God, what a gift you gave, not just to Mary, not just to Joseph, not just to Israel, but to the world when you sent your only Son, the Son you loved, into the world, that he might live among us, that he might die for us, be raised up on the third day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage, how it so carefully describes the visit of the wise men. And Lord, we seek you. We seek to know you. We seek to know more about you, more of you. We seek to give you every tribute, every gift that we can. But, Lord, we do it first and foremost because, Father, you gave your Son. Lord Jesus, you gave us yourself. We praise you, thank you, and worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.